This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions and where we try to have humane and compassionate conversations about challenging subjects. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and this episode is brought to you by the patrons Anthony, Annalise, Betty, Vicky, and Andy. Thank you so much for your financial support. I truly could not do this show without you, and you are funding my debilitating content creation addiction. You are ensuring that this show is sustainable long into the future so that I can keep bringing you interesting content every single week. And for anyone listening to this who wants to join their number, just go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long, and for a dollar, three dollars, or five dollars a month, you get extra content every single week. My patrons only podcast, House of Heretics, where Timothy and I drink coffee and talk about bullshit for your listening pleasure. If you want my most poorly thought out hot takes on current events, then House of Heretics behind a paywall is where you get those. The uh, sacred tension, Stephen, is far more, you know, thoughtful and nuanced and actually thinks about shit before he says stuff. House of Heretics, Stephen, it's not like that. It's much more, here's the bullshit that's on his mind, and there's a reason it's behind a paywall. So, if that's interesting to you, then please just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you haven't already, please subscribe to my newsletter. I am trying very hard to reduce my dependence on social media to get my content out there. There is no telling where Twitter is going to go for content creators as a sustainable platform, where Instagram and Facebook likewise will be as a sustainable platform. So really the best thing you can do is sign up for newsletters, sign up, you know, sign up for mailing lists for content creators. So please do that. You will get regular content, including this podcast, but also my articles. I think a lot of my listeners don't know this, but I do try to write an article every single week at my website, Stephen Bradford Long. For the past few weeks, I've been exploring what I'm calling resilient reading, which is this practice of choosing of your own volition to read challenging or problematic or difficult literature and finding that a and and, and experiencing that as an empowering thing and tools to do that. So if that kind of stuff interests you, then please do sign up for my newsletter. And finally, if you haven't already, please join my Discord server. There's an amazing community there and fascinating conversation happening on a regular basis on all sorts of religious, satanic, and philosophical issues. There will be a link in the show notes. All right. With all of that out of the way, Azura Rose, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm so well. Speaking of my Discord server, you are a regular in the Discord server, and it's so great to to like see you face to face. I mean, we're still on Zoom, but still, it's great to put a face to the screen name. Yeah, absolutely. And like it, like I was saying before we started recording, like I at least know what you sound like. So <laughs> now you get to hear what my very very weird voice sounds like. It isn't weird at all. Whatever. Your voice is fantastic. Um <laughs> thank you. So it's it's great to see you and you're just such a thoughtful voice within a my Discord server but I also feel, you know, within the satanic community within the satanic temple community you are a minister of Satan and I wanted to have you on because you are a sex worker. So I will just t- I, w- I will let you tell us 
who you are and what you do? Well, I'm Azura Rose, Hellcat Azura on most social medias that existed in the public consciousness pre-Twitter meltdown. Um, I have not joined anything since then because I don't want to give my information to people I don't know. And I am a sex worker, both in person and online content. I do like advocacy work, both for disability rights and sex worker rights. I'm a minister of Satan uh, here in Toronto, in Canada, if anyone doesn't know (laughs) what Toronto is, because we don't pronounce the T's. Um, (laughs) And yeah, I'm trans. I use uh, she, they, and he pronouns. And yeah, that's kind of what I do. Amazing. You said that. Oh, and by the way, in in honor of sex work, I'm currently wearing my a real shirt that my partner bought from a an anti porn, anti body positivity Christian evangelist. And the shirt says, stop the war on anuses. And (laughs) isn't it? And I, I was like, I'm not thrilled that you gave this person money, but I am very thrilled by this shirt. I am 100% wearing this on a regular basis. It is also an incredibly comfortable shirt. Um, I wish this was a visual platform so people could see this shirt in its full glory. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how many amazing memes are made it made by like the Christian right that sound metal as hell. And you're like, man, if you were doing this like ironically as a leftist i would send you so much money but because you're right wing i'm just gonna have to take this to the screen printing shop near me i know i mean there's i've i've seen memes made by right wing people on twitter where it's like this is the world liberals want for you and it's like an image of a kinky bdsm den with like you know stiletto heels and I and you know bondage and I'm like this looks great. What are you talking about? Like, yeah, actually, <laughs> you're not wrong. You're not wrong. This is awesome. So you you said that you have a story that you wanted to share about the you, what's the acronym N C O S E. Um, yes. Okay. So so let's just contextualize this first. I'm fascinated by by porn and by sex work and by the discourse surrounding it. Just to put my biases out there, I don't have a problem with porn and I don't have a problem with sex work. And I think that like any field, there will be certain abuses within it, but that's true of every field. That is true of factory work. That is true of farming. That is true of literally mm-hmm. every single thing. It's it's a job and like all jobs, there are going to be problems that need to be addressed and abuses. Of Mm -hmm. course. But that is not an argument against that profession. That is an argument for greater humanity. That is an argument for greater awareness. So I don't have a problem with porn. I watch porn. I think it's great. And I don't have a problem with sex work either. So that is my... Uh, that is the official sacred tension stance on <laughs> on sex work. <laughs> I'm fascinated by this subject, though, because I feel like even among progressives, there's a lot of hand wringing about porn. So I talk to a lot of people who are just deeply uncomfortable with sex work and Deep and and who I generally agree with in, in a lot of other ways. And these are, you know, these are normal people, not necessarily on the end. I say normal as if that means anything. But these are people 
on the, you know, who aren't, who don't necessarily live online. They don't really have an online presence. They're just going about their lives and they generally support LGBTQ people and whatever, but they get very, very, very anxious about porn to and erotica and sex work, etc. And what I have come to believe is that there is a massive anti-sex work lobby that really distorts the science on this and and really distorts the public's perception of yes very much so yeah what you sex are not work, wrong i i okay good of what sex work is and isn't okay so with that framework that that's what i find fascinating about all of this so with that framework tell me about this organization and the story that you wanted to tell me regarding it okay so ENCOSI, just because it's easier than saying the acronym every time, is one of the largest, and I'm going to say this in big sarcasm quotes, anti-human trafficking NGOs, um, especially in the U.S. And and um, what does the name stand for? NCOSE, ENCOSI. Uh, the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. National Center on Sexual Exploitation. Okay. Okay. Yeah. They picked that acronym specifically to confuse it with the National Center on Exploited and Missing Children, which is a very similar acronym um, that is an actual governmental organization. The thing is that will probably immediately give you some context on what ENCOSI is, is its previous name was Morality and Media. Yeah. So that's already a bad sign. And before they were anti-sex work generally, they were anti-pornography, which is when I was introduced to them in my women's studies class in 2009, which made me deeply anti-feminist for a, a good year there before I met sex work positive feminists. And I was like, oh, you're not all like hateful. Cool. Got this. And then previous to that, they were an anti-abortion religious organization mm-hmm. started by a bunch of pastors in, I believe, the 70s. Which um, which uh, denomination do you know? Um, let me see. I I have it like open, but yeah, it was New York clergyman from the Catholic Church. Ah, uh, yes. Okay, so actually, f- interesting thing. I've been over the years as I've just looked into this issue. There will be a lot of like think tanks and re. I'm I'm doing air quotes for you know for <laughs> everyone listening. You know, think tanks and. Uh, recovery groups and and informational websites and what I've discovered is that m- a lot of them are run by Mormons, which is super interesting. Mm-hmm. Like Stop the New Drug, um, yes, is is run by Mormons and and so this and they they what is frustrating is they promote a lot of research, quote unquote research, but it's religiously motivated. However, if you are a worried parent or, you know, a, a mom who is now aware that her, their child is watching porn, they will go to these websites and think, oh, my God, this porn is going to destroy my child's life. And it, and it isn't necessarily obvious or clear that these are actually religious organizations that have a very religious motivation. Yes, agreed. And it's obfuscated on purpose where like morality and media slash and cozy changed their name. They no longer put their religious affiliation on their website like they used to, Mm. or 
there's another group that also works within Cozy a lot called Exodus Cry, which as anyone who's even vaguely familiar with Christianity will maybe see that as a red flag name. Yep, definitely. Um, that pings my radar. <laughs> yeah, which is run by, I believe, Layla Micklewaite. I do not like this woman. <laughs> and they also run a, a campaign called Hashtag Trafficking Hub, which was supposed to take down Pornhub. But the reason why a lot of these groups, like if you search them, you get them first and why it's very difficult to figure out that they have religious motivations is that most of these groups are tied to the U.S. government. That's where they get their funding. And Cozy specifically pushed the Earn It Act, are partially responsible for pushing SESTA-FOSTA. They were also involved with uh, Sheriff Tom Dart. I don't remember which sheriff he is. He's somewhere in your country somewhere. Mm -hmm. But he pressured Visa and MasterCard to no longer work with Backpage. Oh yeah, I um, heard. I heard about all this. Yeah, there, and also credit card companies aren't working with a lot of uh, sex mm -hmm. work and and porn yeah. websites now. Part of that was they were struggling to get uh, the Justice Department to be able to arrest the the owners of Backpage, specifically because. They had a bunch of awards from the FBI for helping with trafficking. Um, anytime they were aware of something on their website, they would forward it to the FBI. The The organizers also donated lots of money to on-the-ground survivor groups and like actual on-the-ground human trafficking organizations. Um, so it was very, very difficult to litigate against them in any sort of way or bring criminal charges against them or bring the website down because... They also had Section 230 protections. Right. Um, so they weren't criminally liable for the things users were posting, and they were doing a reasonable effort at, when they were aware of something, sending that on to the relevant authorities to help protect people. So the anti-sex work militia decided that the way to deal with that would be, instead of going through the legal route, is to go to their stack. So that's banking, website hosting, that sort of thing. And when they found it was successful with Backpage, they moved on to Pornhub. Then they moved on to OnlyFans. They've, when OnlyFans started to um, pull out of adult because of banking issues, they immediately that day pivoted to trying to deplatform Twitter. But then OnlyFans found new banking and they went back to OnlyFans. So yeah, this is like a constant concerted escalating effort that started with mostly in-person sex work and has developed into fighting all online expression of sexuality generally. Yeah, so let's talk specifically about how this affects you as a sex worker. So you work both in person as an escort and online. So how mm -hmm. do these measures affect your day-to-day -day life? So the major thing is the same sort of stack-based pressure that's on these platforms has historically been used on individual sex, works, sex workers for a very long time. So that affects me in ways where like I have friends and coworkers of mine I know in person who have lost homes, who have lost credit cards, who have lost their children, like been, been evicted, been homeless because they couldn't get access to these things. Um, a lot of these religious organizations being deeply embedded in anti-sex work legislation here in Canada, when our most recent laws were passed that recriminalized some aspects of sex work, a lot of the money that was earmarked for that bill ended up going to the Salvation Army to do re-education camps for 
clients and sex workers to basically indoctrinate us into (laughs) stopping. Tell me more about that. Yeah, it's it's a very common thing to have because of the pivot away from sex workers or evil criminals to, oh, they're just doing self-harm victims that don't know what they're doing, which is really infantilizing. Yeah, broken, broken people who are here because they were abused as children. I was I was looking at the uh, in case website and they were like, yeah, you know, most people who or I don't know if they said most, but a lot implying most people Mm -hmm. who are in sex work were, you know, horribly abused as children. and, And this is why they're doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Which as a disabled person who to be honest, like I have a lot of friends and coworkers of mine in the industry who were not abused as children. I was, and am I in sex work because I was abused as a child? Yes, but not for the reason that these people often say. Yeah, it's I'm not doing it because I have no sense of agency. I'm doing it because I have PTSD and being yelled at by Karens and customer service is deeply harmful to my mental health. Mm -hmm. So having access to a type of career where I control who comes in and out of the door rather than just dealing with hundreds of Joe Public is less traumatizing to me. And like, especially I used to work in a movie theater and nothing is quite so difficult for a person with like PTSD from child abuse than seeing parents hitting their children all day and having to do that all day to pay rent. Jesus Christ. Yeah. No. Okay. As someone like even the like, oh, you know, it's not it's not child abuse, quote unquote, to like spank your kid. Well, my PTSD brain doesn't know the difference. And also, um, neither does your child's actually. But um, that's yeah. So it was very, very difficult job to work around children, especially. So, yeah. So so you're doing it because you're you're in sex work because it's the right fit for you. Yes, precisely. Yeah. And and of course, I mean, here's here's the thing. Our the choices we make in life are, of course, informed by our past. But that doesn't have to be this sinister thing. That doesn't have to be like this, this dark, sinister wound that is shaped. It's like, no, you know, all of our all of our choices are informed. Excuse me. All of our choices are informed by our past, and that's human nature. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like of you know, I'm a Satanist. What am I a Satanist in part because I grew up gay and was wounded by, by the church? I mean, I'm sure that helped. Yeah, I'm sure that I'm I'm sure that contributed to me becoming a Satanist. But that's fine. And yeah. um, there's a level to it as well of ableism that mm. dis- people who have disabilities of some kind are incapable of making adult decisions, especially around their sexuality. It's very weird to be a sex worker who is on one hand over-sexualized to where people think, like, I literally got a bunch of hate on Instagram a couple months ago for wearing Lolita dresses, for wearing a specific type of fashion and modeling for a company that makes clothes for that fashion because I'm a sex worker and just because I'm a sex worker, And just because of my job that I am sexualizing and tainting their fashion hobby. So I'm over-sexualized that way. But like when I go out and people don't know I'm a sex worker and they just see me in a wheelchair with my cane, they desexualize me. So there's this very weird disconnect of where people cannot see me as an autonomous being, whether that's I'm constantly a victim of clients, which we can get into that later, but that's very inaccurate or that I am somehow a desexualized, innocent child because I, I guess when your knee hurts, that means that you de-age 20 years. I don't know how that works. 
Hmm. But apparently that's how people think things work. So there's there's a really in, yeah, I mean, so intersectionality is a really helpful lens here. And by the way, uh, I recommend that everyone go listen to my interview with Richard Reeves, which will be out by the time this show comes out, where he talks about he, he's a policymaker in regards to uh, challenges that faces men and boys, especially uh, men and boys of color. And he talks about and he talks about how useful a tool intersectionality is and how, you know, we all exist at these intersections of identities. And it sounds like you are at the intersection of a lot of identities and you you have really different experiences depending on the context that you're in. Yeah, for sure. And with sex work specifically, like I would say um, the I can't think of anyone I know in sex work, except for maybe two or three people who don't have some sort of disability, hmm. whether that be physical, mental health or otherwise. A lot of autistic people, a lot of people with physical disabilities or chronic illness because we can't work 40 hours a week at minimum wage because our bodies can't handle it. We need time off. We need extra time off beyond just being sick to go to medical appointments. Our cost of living is higher because we need to pay for medication and stuff which is much better than the American system, the Canadian one is, there's still a lot of awful, huge gaps that disabled people fall into. Hmm. And on top of that, also a lot of trans people pay for transition by doing sex work. You cannot, there is no way to decouple trans rights from sex worker rights, period, because trans people are overwhelmingly re resorting to sex work to pay for transition or as a way to get away from abusive family, because it's one of the few jobs where you don't face employment discrimination because there's no boss necessarily. If you're running an OnlyFans, it's just you and a cell phone camera and a mirror. You don't need anyone else. So it's uniquely accessible work. And a lot of people either don't realize that, or I feel on some level, the religiously motivated anti-sex work people might be aware of that, uh, and like how much representation of queerness is in sex work and how tied that history is like Stonewall was very much tied in with sex work uh, here in Toronto. Our version of Stonewall was raids on our bathhouses that started our pride parades. Like there is a deeply tied history there and the religious right hates both of us. And I feel like we're stronger together than mm. apart. I know a lot of like, there's a lot of, like sex work phobia um, affects like Asian and migrant women a lot, uh, especially with like the Atlanta shooting that kind of brought that to kind of more public awareness. Like there's there's a lot of effects there affecting with like black men. If you look at a lot of the arrests for sex trafficking, a lot of the people who actually get arrested are black men. And I can guarantee you they're not the ones who are like they're the ones who are more likely to face consequences. They're not the only ones that are exploiting people in the industry. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, basically what you're what you're laying out here is a very complex picture mm -hmm. of kind of the sex work landscape. And when it comes to let's see, where where do I want to go <laughs> with this? When it comes to things that you wish people understood about sex work that are deeply misunderstood in part because of the anti-sex work industry and these machines that are just pumping out anti-sex work 
information. What are some things that you really wish people knew? So, for example, uh, you mentioned recently, you, you mentioned just a few minutes ago, the, the misperception that your clients are dangerous. Uh, maybe start with that. Yeah, I think a lot of people have this misperception that clients are all these like seedy men who are misogynistic and like they have this picture in their head of what kind of man would pay for sex whether it's a incel there's a lot of times where there's incel based violence and they say just send them to sex workers they could just pay for sex no incels are misogynists and sex workers would never see them um those are not generally the sorts of men who pay for sex I mean, you do get the occasional person who is a misogynist who pays for sex, but that's not the vast majority. Or people think like, oh, these are like really gross men who are objectifying women or whatever. Um, when in reality, think of any random man that you know, either he or someone like him pays for sex. Like it's just a completely open like field of the average population pays for sex. There are non-binary people who pay for sex. There are trans people who pay for sex. There's disabled people who pay for sex. And their reasons for doing so are varied. It's not all misogynistic married men cheating on their wives. Does that happen sometimes? Sure. But also it's not, it's, it's interesting where my experience of even the married men who are cheating is I want to be with my wife and I don't know why our sex life isn't the way it used to be and asking me why, because they'd rather be having sex with the wife that they love and me being able to give them perspective of like, okay, you've had kids, you both work. She does all the housework. She's tired. Maybe pick up some slack at home. Mm -hmm. And inevitably, if you give them good advice, they stop seeing you, which you'd think I wouldn't give that advice, but there's an endless supply of men. It's fine. <laughs> um, or you get businessmen who just their passion is their work, which means they don't have time for a relationship. And rather than using women and giving them the promise of a long-term relationship that they can't actually give them, they'll pay someone for their time knowing like there's less that they're paying us for sex. They're more paying us to go away after an hour. Right. Like the point is that we leave or, you know, I, I've had people hire me for BDSM because they want to learn how to do that safely before doing that with a loved one with their partner's consent and blessing to learn from me. Um, I've seen couples, I've seen disabled people because they're so isolated. Like we have a hard time dealing with the dating environment when we're desexualized and stigmatized and there's ableism and we're more at risk for poverty and abuse. So it's a little bit safer to hire a professional that you can ask about your accessibility needs ahead of time where, you know, saying like, hey, can you help me do X, Y and Z? Because I need that. It's not going to be like this weird environment. You can just blatantly ask me and I'll be like, yeah, that's fine. Or sorry, my in-call space is not wheelchair accessible. Like, can I come to yours or like figure that out? Like clients are such a wide variety of people. And for the most part, you get some people who are, you know, they, they think they're entitled because they've paid you money. So they deserve whatever they pay for. But I would say, A, that's a minority. A lot of the clients are actually, they think of it more as, you know, you have conditions to your consent, whether that's condom use, a certain dollar amount, 
like me having a shower when I arrive, basic hygiene, and the money is just another layer of consent, right? Like if a man's willing to pay me $300, why would he not be willing to put a condom on, right? So like a lot of the time these men actually are kind, caring, considerate men who might be socially awkward or don't have time to date or something. Like they're not this like scary image people have of like abusers that are hurting us all the time. My I've faced more non-consensual experiences in my private life than I have at work. Yeah. I mean, that last point is, I think, really helpful. Also, I have friends who have been in rocky personal situations and just I mean, not not in terms of like a specific sexual encounter, but just in life, like, you know, their mm -hmm. partnership is falling apart or their their marriage is falling apart or, you know, they're going through a ton of stress for various reasons and they have gone to a gone to very professional sex workers. And I'm like, that's amazing because that's so much more secure and there's so much more like for them, so much more safety than than having maybe a hookup with a stranger. Like if your marriage is falling apart, maybe hooking up, not hooking up, may, maybe, you know, having sex with a sex worker where the communication is very clear as to what's expected and not versus, you know, hooking up with a friend or, or hooking up with someone on Grindr or what have you. Not that those things are bad at all. Mm -hmm. It's just that there's a certain measure of security that a sex worker can offer the client as well. And that is a benefit. That's a service. Am yeah, I making like sense? It's, yeah, I compare it to like going out for dinner, right? You're, you can make dinner for your spouse and home-cooked meals are great. You can go to a friend's house or family member's house and they can make you a meal. That's great. But a professional, going to a professional restaurant, especially like, you know, there there's a certain amount of like, you know, they do this for a living. Their professional reputation is on the line. If they give you food poisoning, no one's going to go to the restaurant anymore. Yes. I right? think that's a great metaphor, actually. I think that's a fantastic uh, example because I mean they're yeah I mean yeah exactly what you said I think that's a fantastic illustration mm -hmm. another misconception I might as well bring up while we're on the topic of Definitely. up is a lot of people think sex workers are dirty so they'll think oh we can't just decriminalize sex work we need to regulate it because sex workers are dirty and full of diseases so we need to legislate that they must get tested a certain amount of times and I'm just going to come out and say right now uh, a sex worker is by and large much less likely to have a communicable disease than someone off of some random hookup site because we're professionals. It's the same reason a professional singer is much less likely to lose their voice than someone who's going to karaoke. Or I've talked to my massage therapist before. She usually, if she has to cut something in her apartment, she gets a partner or a friend to do it because she doesn't want to cut her hands because then she has to take time off work. We are very careful with the things we use professionally. And for sex workers, that includes that particular bit of anatomy. Um, we're very, very careful. We get things treated, though. That's all to say when we are empowered to do so. If you criminalize sex work to where carrying condoms puts you at risk of arrest, then, OK, do you use condoms to protect yourself or do you forego condoms to protect yourself from arrest, right? So all of this is like when I talk about like my clients are really safe, 
that's also because I'm in a position where I can screen. I can turn people away who are going to be more aggressive. I, A, have the financial privilege of being able to turn someone away and also the privilege that here in Canada, I am not breaking the law to be selling sex. So the reality of sex work also does depend on context, but criminalization always makes it less safe because it takes the position of power away from the sex worker and puts it on everyone else around her. Yeah, yeah. And so basically what you're saying is prohibition makes it worse. And I think mm-hmm. make, makes conditions worse for for the sex worker. The if we want, you know, in in a, I think sex work is sex work is never going to go away. Sex work is called the oldest profession for a reason, and mm-hmm. uh, for as long as there have been human beings exchanging services, there has always been sex work. It isn't going to go away, and prohibition just makes it worse. And and actually, I think the like my personal dream is is a society where sex workers are kind of have the same elevation in society as like therapists where mm-hmm. they they provide a service to mm-hmm. to people like that that to me is the dream is a society where where there are where someone can in, in the same way, someone can go to a therapist and it's a very confidential and safe space. Ideally, you know, therapy is not perfect as an industry for sure. There's a lot of problems mm. there. But ideally, you know, it's like you you have this this person who can listen to you, who can kind of reflect things back. And it's in that safe room and there is confidentiality and all of that stuff. And we have a kind of a cultural understanding now in general that a therapist is a is an important role in society and it's good to go to one if you need one that's that's the kind of society that i want to see in in regards to sex work as well Mm -hmm. and a thing that like we are not obviously qualified therapists, right? Like oh, I can't I can't have someone in and like have me deal with their mental health stuff. But there is a mental health aspect to what we do. Whether you're sitting there and doing a lot of like GFE quote girlfriend experience sort of service where you're talking a lot, or if you're just doing like, you know, quickie, come in, come out, you know, thank you, ma'am, that sort of deal. No matter what you're doing, you're giving someone a space to be themselves. And on top of that, an observation a lot of sex workers are making is that men, cis men specifically, are not encouraged to get their emotional needs met or their physical touch needs met unless it's in the context of having sex. That's true. Which I also think is where a lot of that friend zone bullshit comes from because they're getting their emotional needs met, which for them means sex, which for girls, like, you know, we can just cuddle each other or talk to each other about stuff. Men can't do that with each other because it's quote unquote gay. And if they do it with women, well, then sex is supposed to happen. That that their basic human need of connection is detached from men and put in a sexual relationship, which causes a lot of issues, which means a lot of times I have had clients that will pay me have sex for like five minutes and then spend the rest of the hour wanting to just cuddle and talk to someone that the sex gives them permission to open up for what they actually wanted me for. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, I've I've had I had experiences like that too when I was uh, hooking up a lot on Grinder, where you know the the sex would last for about you know ten minutes, and then the guy would just want to be held. And one one guy just held on to me and was like, "I'm sorry, it's just been a really long time since I've been held." And it's heartbreaking. It honestly. is heart. Oh, I was. I, oh my god! Like it was. It was so heartbreaking, and a lot of a lot of people really do just really want that that physical affection and don't know where to get it, don't know how to get it. Also, I think that very often cis straight men in particular, they're, again, you know, bringing up Richard Reeves. Also, I was just reading his book before, before interview, before this conversation, so it's fresh in my mind. But there's a friendship deficit also among a lot of mm-hmm. cis, cis straight men as well, where, and culturally, there is this assumption that your sexual partner will be your best friend as well. Well, the thing is, though, if if that relationship is rocky or non-existent, or even if it's great. I mean, we are interconnected beings. We need lots of relationships and we need lots of, you know, affection from from different directions. And and but the number of men who say they have a single good friend is dropping tremendously <laughs> in recent years. Yeah. And on that level, like once you don't have friends or those close connections or they get dropped down to maybe one or two people, one person cannot carry all the weight of another person. That's right. Like they're going to have days where they're tired and they can't do it anymore. You have to distribute that load. Like, you know, there's that saying that it takes a village to like raise a child. It takes a village to support each other. Like, no one person can carry all that weight. And like, as a sex worker, like part of the reason that I set my rates where I do is so that I'm seeing less clients Mm. so that I have time to recover from like holding all of that emotional weight. A lot of sex workers burn out because they don't realize that's happening. And it's not often the physical aspect that burns us out. Like a lot of anti-sex worker people think is that Oh, our bodies get used up or whatever. It's no, you burn out because it's emotionally demanding work, not even just in the clients, but dealing with all of those inquiries and having to sort out like, okay, is this person wasting my time? Oh, there's like eight more dick pics. Like imagine what the average girl's DMs look like. And then add the fact that technically they're allowed to talk to you about sex and it gets so much fucking worse because they can't fucking understand the nuance of the situation Mm. it gets very weird sometimes so like you get burnt out just like doing too much but yeah it's just it's it's really difficult to carry that weight for one person and so like in and polyamory isn't for everyone but i think everyone is capable of like like a polyplatonic love like what we can love both of our parents why can't we love more than one friend yeah right definitely i don't understand why I guess I do because toxic masculinity, but it just, it's so heartbreaking to see how isolated men are and that like women can't fix that problem. It's on men to fix that for each other and shaming men for seeking out sex work as like a way to cope in the meantime is not going to fix the situation. Mm. It's just shaming Mm. men for reaching out for affection again. Mm. Definitely. Definitely. And okay. So another broad idea of sex work and this includes both porn and escort services is that it is fundamentally degrading to 
the performer and porn to the sex worker uh, who is the escort. So you actually now do you do porn, by the way? Um, I used to do like straight up like actual porn. Okay. Um, I stopped okay. for a while just because um, I don't have the time to run a clip store. And a lot of the like straight up studios that like pay you directly are in L.A., which I can't get to. Uh, sure, 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 sure. Okay. So but, like I, I stopped, but I do do like photo adult stuff. Yeah. Also, it's I'll, close enough. Yeah, definitely. Also, your your uh, a lot of your photos are absolutely awesome. Like, I love the cosplay Thank stuff. You. It's super cool. Yeah. Um, okay, but you have experience doing doing all of this stuff. What yeah. is so so when you hear this is this experience is just fundamentally degrading to someone, uh, to the person doing it. What's your like immediate gut reaction to that? As someone who's actually done this work, my immediate gut reaction is it would be degrading to you. Just because yes. someone thinks sex is sacred and doing it for money with someone they don't know would feel uncomfortable and degrading for them doesn't mean that's how I feel in the situation. Mm -hmm. The idea that sex is degrading is sex negative, might be informed by someone's trauma, but like, again, how you deal with your trauma does not necessarily mean that's how everyone deals with theirs. My God, if I expected everyone to deal with their trauma the way that I deal with mine, I would be a monster because <laughs> I get over mine very quickly and that would not be fair to expect of other people. Um, but yeah, I just think, A, what value do you put on sex? Like, and what are your expectations and your cultural biases that you're bringing to the act that doing it in a situation that is consensual to create art is somehow a negative and like, and why do you think that that's somehow a universal experience? How have you not met? How are you not looking at people making choices different than you and realizing that maybe perhaps their perspective just is different because I don't find pornography degrading. Also, a lot of porn isn't what people necessarily assume is like, yes, there are the big studios. I've never worked for a big studio. The only times I've done like studio stuff has been with small, queer, independent stuff. Like I used to go to the Feminist Porn Awards when that was a thing every year. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that porn was deeply moving, spoke to like the queer experience, had representations of transness and disability that I'd never seen before. It's... And I also think like you've only ever seen stolen porn then you're only seeing the stuff on the tube sites that misogynistic men have decided they're too entitled to pay for have stolen and put on tube sites. That's your only exposure to porn. You have never gone to an OnlyFans girl and paid for stuff that she's made herself. Yep. You've never gone to one of these like queer producers that make deeply moving art about sexuality. Like, one of the ones that like first changed my mind about how I view porn is not just something that people can get off as, but just a label put on like pornography isn't just sex. Pornography is any art that includes a depiction of intercourse of some variety. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's purient. And even if it is, people can have fun. Marvel movies are allowed to exist. Like it's fine. Definitely. But there was one I saw where um, this was only ever shown at like porn screenings. It was never like publicly viewable. 
And it was one called Crutch, where a woman who uses forearm crutches is trying to catch a bus and she can't run and it's very crowded and she's being knocked and pushed around in the crowd as she's trying to get to this bus. And it keeps cutting back and forth between that and her in her room masturbating. But it starts with her like while she's being knocked around in the crowd, it cuts to her in her room like trying to get off and she can't and she's struggling with it because Mm -hmm. her hands aren't coordinated. And then it starts building the tension of her in the crowd. And she puts like one of those like vibrating cock rings on her crutch Mm -hmm. and starts riding it. And that's as she's starting to pull up to the bus and she starts getting through the bulk of the crowd and she climaxes as she sits down in the front of the bus. And it was this beautifully artistic piece that got across the, the like rising tension of being disabled in in, in public and what that feels like mm. and contrasting that with what sex feels like that like tension and frustration as you're trying to get into it. And then once you achieve like that goal, like crossing those together was such a beautiful moving thing to watch. Like people in the audience were crying. Mm. That's not usually a thing you, that happens when you watch porn in people's minds. But there's lots of porn that's like that, that is just adult art or queer art that because of how we're sexualized or especially for trans people, like our connection with our genitals and our secondary sexual characteristics, exploring that through art can very easily lead to like porn, quote unquote, because porn doesn't mean anything other than explicit nudity, right? So you're going to look at that and tell me that that was degrading and there was no artistic merit to that. Like, Hmm. so my, my immediate response when people are like that, it's like your values and your limited experience are preventing you from actually looking at a wider context and listening to actual porn performers and actual queer people who have actually lived this and find value in this. And yeah, it just makes me very sad that like, you know, they, they feel so anxious in their own sexuality that like that's the overriding thought and they can't, they haven't dealt with that enough that they can calm down and like be okay looking at other people having sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or no, I even be okay with other people looking at other people having sex. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And I also just sometimes wonder if how do I how do I say this, that the theory becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So what's what's the name of the feminist who wrote pornography she she wrote the book pornography like back in the 70s who um and she was oh, a ra- i don't remember she radical feminist oh i can't remember right now but Jorkin maybe Jorkin, yes andrea Jorkin. where oh that lady <laughs> yeah that lady and you know she talks about how she talks about how not just pornography but just sex itself is by its nature demeaning almost. I mean, it, it was straight sex, mm-hmm. sex between a man and a woman, you know, cis man and cis woman, how that is a fundamentally, you know, there's a fundamental power imbalance there. I'm probably butchering. No, you're her, fairly accurate but, from what I, I remember of her argument. It's like there's a level of like there's always a power dynamic there, yeah. so it can never be truly consensual. And it's like, okay, 
maybe a white man and a white woman, but you're completely ignoring intersectionality in that case, like a disabled man and an able-bodied woman. Okay, who's yeah. in power there? Or, or there are also consensual power imbalances mm-hmm. as well. You, and, and someone can go into a sexual relationship knowing that there is a power imbalance and it be fine. And it be okay. And and the problem is when those the problem is when power imbalances are not consented to. I mean, it, that that's the that's the problem. The problem is not a power imbalance. <laughs> the problem is a lack of consent to a power imbalance in a specific environment, right? And yeah. like BDSM is fine, or if there's like a power dynamic, you can also minimize that through communication and being aware of that dynamic. Like absolutely, I've had. Older partners who, you know, follow the campsite rule and want to leave me better than they found me. Or I've had younger partners where I do the same thing, where it's like, okay, I know this person's older than me or this person's younger than me. So we're going to communicate that to make sure that we're very explicit about what is and isn't okay. Hmm. But like, you know, these people think that like, you know, not only these people who are anti-porn are often anti-kink as well, even though the kink community has ingrained in me explicit discussions of consent before anything happens, right? Like that was completely normal and expected that you sit and you talk about what kinks you're interested in exploring, what your hard limits are, your soft limits, your safe words, safe gestures. Like, God, I do a rope scene and people are like, okay, I need to know like all this medical stuff to make sure that I can not stress out any injuries that you have. Mm -hmm. You have low blood sugar. I'm not going to tip you upside down because that would be bad. Right. Like, very, very aware of all of these things. And like, then people just hear kink and go, oh, it's gross sex. It's like, no, it's like a transcendental experience that involves orgasms occasionally. But like, Mm. why is it that A, you can't just, you know, like why, why is it that it's okay? I can go bungee jumping, but I can't go bungee jumping and fuck at the same time. Like, Come on now. <laughs> Why is it that the, the orgasm suddenly the problem? Right, right, I don't right. get it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I think that kink is amazing and can be an incredible spiritual practice. I mean, it, it can be an incredible, like you said, a transcendental practice. But yeah, I mean, I, I sometimes wonder if like the theory generate a theory generate becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so if someone approaches sex, believe if someone approaches porn with the belief that it is fundamentally all all porn, you know, all porn of all types is is fundamentally demeaning, well then that can shape their experience of the porn. And, yeah, and I that- believe you're right too, because um as a lot of sex workers are, I'm a former psych major. And there was a study that was done that showed that if you're an inpatient, any normal behavior you have will be recontextualized as and, and medicalized. So like people were, would do stuff to get themselves put in an inpatient facility and then revert to just being completely normal and just act like themselves. Mm. And then the notes that were taken of them from physicians and psychiatrists that didn't know that they were actually not mentally ill would be like, Oh, has like, like compulsion issues and keeps detailed notes and is paranoid. And they're just keeping a journal like a normal person. Would do. <laughs> yes. It's literally yeah. just a person having like a daily diary. And it was pathologically considered like, oh, you're like paranoid and keeping notes like some weird, crazy person. And it's like, well, you're the one who put that in that context. Like anything 
can be stripped of its context and then viewed in a negative way. Like I think of not that Gail, I don't know if you've heard of Gail Dines. She's a quote unquote academic in that if you look at any of her research, all of it is suspect and should not pass any sort of ethical review or peer review at all. But she'll do things where she'll like look at like top, top Google searches for porn and it'll be all this like aggressive degrading stuff. But she never accounts for the fact that Google searches are personalized. Uh, Yes, yes. So, of course, all of her top results are all going to be aggressive because she's constantly looking up like all this stuff or like like she'll say that gonzo porn means like super hardcore. But all gonzo means is essentially POV where the cameraman is Mm -hmm. acknowledged in the because it's based on a type of journalism. Mm -hmm. Um but like, yeah, or they'll they'll recontextualize like BDSM instead of it being like they'll go to kink.com stuff and see the consent discussions that happen before and after videos on kink.com being like, OK, I'm consenting to this. This is fine. They have the scene. And then afterwards, they'd be like, OK, this is what I like. This is what I didn't like. This is like, I'd love to do this again, blah, blah, blah. Like, like aftercare discussions that are included as part of the porn because kinky people find consent hot fucking mind-blowing um (laughs) she'll contextualize that as their kink.com is making them say on camera that it's consensual to protect them from the legal liability of the video of abuse that just happened and it's like it's like sure if you're a conspiracy theorist and Speaking of conspiracy theories, I did want to get back to that story about Incozy that we teased. Yes, that we that we teased at the beginning. Yes, please. Because this will also explain to any like Satanists listening who are like, okay, sex work is important, important, compassion is important. But why should I specifically as a Satanist care? Why should TST care about this? Um, So Incozy ran a uh, like a conference recently where they had invited speakers to speak on stuff, mostly involving like, you know, sex trafficking and stuff. And like, there's a lot of sex trafficking conspiracies out there. I promise you, if you find a zip tie on your car, it's, or some weird shit in a parking lot, it's not someone that's going to come to your house to track your car so that they can come kidnap you for sex trafficking later. Ah. A, why would they do that? You have a license plate that is uniquely identifying on your car. They don't need to put a zip tie this sounds like a really this sounds like a really elaborate kink kidnapping fantasy i am convinced that a lot of like a lot of people have kinks in their head that they're ashamed of yes and so it comes out and then project yes yeah and then project on onto the world i absolutely agree which is why all this should be out in the open like which is why we should have kink it's really hot to do it for real with someone that you trust. It's Absolutely. really hot. Just find someone you trust and talk about it. It's way better because then you get it out of your system and it's not a problem anymore. But anyway, so there's this huge conference where they have people talking about sex trafficking conspiracies and like how there's like hundreds of thousands of children being like sex trafficked in the U.S. a year. The numbers they claim are mathematically impossible. I've worked out the math before. It would result in if only if clients are only male, then 50% of men in America, adult men, are having sex with children every month. It's not possible. <laughs> and also, then why are you criminalizing us and giving us to male police officers who 
in a lot of jurisdictions, it's still not illegal for them to have sex with us while we're arrested. But holy that's a shit. Whole other story. Yeah, I think uh, New Jersey only changed that fairly recently. So at this conference, there was also speakers talking about how these trafficked children and sex trafficked women are used to <sighs> satanic ritual abuse, literally. And this was at the conference that yes. this was at this conference. They are saying that that women and children are being used as as victims in satanic ritual abuse. So this is legit yes. 1980s satanic panic bullshit all over again. Yes, it's the ISSTD, but yeah, but like a sex trafficking NGO is doing it instead of therapists. It's like exactly the same thing. And like it's it was so mind blowing to me because I'm like, I know that they're Christo fascists. I knew that I've been following this for long enough. I know that they're Christians that wanted like their end goal when you listen to them talk when they're not in their prim and proper suit suited up, like talking as an NGO voice when they're off the record. They talk about how they want to get rid of all non procreative white Christian sex in the public square like they want to get rid of everything i mean um yeah i mean and and it's it's an intensely anti-pluralistic attitude where any kind of sex that deviates from the norm regardless even if it's consensual and behind closed doors that that all of that should be forbidden yeah and like all conspiracy theories lead to each other. So like once you believe that there's this huge cabal making tons of money doing sex trafficking. Well, OK, it's the, the link between that and sex trafficking for Satan is just such a thin line. Yeah. Like and then you get straight from there to QAnon. But also, can I tell you another fun thing that I know? Please do. The American anti like the first American anti-sex trafficking law, the Mann Act that prevents people from. Uh, crossing state lines for the purposes of sex trafficking. The original name for that was the uh, White Slave Traffic Act. I am not joking. It's on Wikipedia. And while they were, just before this law was passed, a lot of radical feminist suffragettes, not all of them, of course, but you know, that the, the split in feminism was apparent even then, were arguing that they needed a law to get rid of prostitution because um, it was degrading to women and girls and it was mostly foreign and Chinese men that were uh, trafficking these women, etc. And like straight up, there was a, I think a Chicago DA wrote in a book that like foreign men were trafficking with like white women and girls out of not pizza parlors, ice cream parlors, but otherwise with verbatim q and Oh, my God. It's yeah. In like 1902. Yeah. I mean, this stuff is so old. I mean, and that's the thing is yeah. these QAnon and the Save the Children and the the what was the furniture company? Mayfair and the Mayfair. Uh, yeah. Wayfair. Wayfair. Thank you. The Wayfair yeah. conspiracy that blew up a year or two ago. All of this is so ancient it goes back centuries and at least in my reading what i've found at the root of it is very often anti-semitism is very often yes. rooted in you know the synagogue of satan and and mm -hmm. blood libel and all of these various you know the this 
these horrific caricatures of Jewish people as, you know, child predators um, mm-hmm. that were propagated by the church. And and some of and it's just these zombie lies, these zombie parasitic conspiracy theories that get transferred from generation to generation to generation. And we're currently yeah. seeing the the and, and we're seeing the current resurgence of it in QAnon and whatever will come after QAnon because there will be another iteration after QAnon. Yeah. And QAnon is just the right wing aspect of it. Like That's right. You, like on fucking TikTok, if you post like educational content about sex worker decriminalization wearing normal clothes from like the neck up you can get your profile taken down for adult like sexual content and solicitation but there are hundreds of videos thousands of videos getting millions of views talking about how sex workers are they betray womankind that we're responsible for perpetuating patriarchy um that we need to be rescued um that like in the communist revolution either we'll stop being sex workers or we'll be shot as traitors like this shit's all over the yeah. internet i mean it's and it's, that's coming from left wing progressive people so i think a one last do you have time for one more question by the way oh i have nothing else to do today we can talk as long as you want <laughs> okay awesome awesome um so let's go over some of the questions that that were submitted in, in discord there were some really good questions one person asks what advice would you give to swers s w e r s what does that mean sex oh sex workers oh sex what, workers <laughs> what advice would you give to sex workers who are worried about getting doxxed or people finding out some other way even if that person is not ashamed and believes their body to be inviolable and subject to their own will alone, they have people that could that could be negatively affected by this in a similar way to someone having to keep their links to Satanism quiet because of employers. Please feel free to paraphrase this very clunky sentence. That was a beautiful sentence. Okay, so uh, yeah, I mean, what advice would you give in that situation? So for a sex worker who's like very worried about their sex work becoming public knowledge there's sort of two aspects of that is your fear that like clients or someone will find out where you live in which case my advice there would be never post on social media where you are until you're not there don't take selfies in your house Mm. don't work from home like very basic online safety stuff that you should be doing if you're on the internet anyway just be more careful. Don't answer questions. Clients ask about what your hometown is, that sort of stuff. Use a pseudonym. You know, if you're really concerned, block out your face, that sort of thing. If you're worried about your family finding out and loved ones in your personal life finding out, that one's much more difficult because that's the one that actually has more consequences and is harder to sort of avoid because if your face is publicly visible, your tattoos are publicly visible, your family will find out. Yeah. Like if you're worried about that, I would suggest either don't do online sex work, try and be as anonymous as possible, like do everything you can, but like also have a plan in place. Like if your fear is that someone will find out and you'll get evicted from your apartment, have in your head a plan already, a person you know that you can crash on their couch if the worst happens. Mm. Because you'll be less scared if you know in an emergency, I know what to do. 
you should also be doing this as an in-person sex worker anyway, is like, oh, if I have a bad client, I already have a plan in place of how, okay, this happened. So I'm going to immediately afterwards have a shower, call this person, meet them for lunch, uh, wrap, they're going to bring me my favorite stuffed animal and we're going to watch my favorite movie. If you have a plan in place, it means when you're panicking and traumatized, you don't actually have to do any thinking. You're just following the plan. If you have children, I am so sorry if people find out you may lose your children and that's a reasonable anxiety to have. But I don't feel like it's fair for me to give advice to say like, oh, you can avoid this because you really can't. There's not a lot you can do, especially if you work somewhere where sex work is illegal. You're kind of fucked. I would just do the best you can to prevent it and then try and have a plan if something happens because people may find out and there's not a lot you can do about that. Mm. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. And also important clarification here. A lot of the stuff that we are talking about is illegal depending on province and state. So yeah, where I am, it's important like, clarification. Yeah. 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 Where I am, it's, legal to sell illegal to buy it's illegal to like third parties are technically criminalized unless they're there's like a carve out in the law where your partners aren't going to get criminalized for you paying rent but Mm -hmm. like the laws here in canada are really fucked up we want decriminalization not the end demand nordic model that shit's stupid and no legalization, that stuff's all bad. Could you talk about the Nordic model? So I had a sex worker on years ago, and they were just super awesome. This was back, mm-hmm. you know, in the early history of sacred tension. Um, but they were talking about the Nordic model and, and just how destructive it is, even though the Nordic model is hailed as, you know, like this this wonderful progressive thing. So talk about the Nordic model, what it is, and why you object to it. So the Nordic model starts from the perspective that sex work is a problem that needs to be solved. So already from that perspective as a sex worker, it's a complete non-starter. Just because you're trying to eliminate me in a more kind way, quote unquote, doesn't mean that I'm going to like being eliminated, right? Like just just because you don't want to arrest me and throw me in prison doesn't mean that making my life so difficult that I'm pressured into giving up sex work because it's so harmful to my life that's not really better yeah right so the way that the nordic model works is generally it's framed by its proponents as criminalizing quote pimps and johns so already it's assuming all third parties are exploitative which as a disabled sex worker who might disabled sex workers might need help answering phones if they're say deaf or autistic and have trouble with phone calls or someone who has ADHD and has executive executive dysfunction might need someone to schedule things for them. Or you might need someone to do your website for you because you're dyslexic and fucking a lot of programming stuff is not in dyslexia friendly font. Or, you know, you're physically disabled. So you want just like a person in the other room to be security because you can't run away or fight. So just having someone else there makes you feel safer. Those people are all criminalized as quote unquote pimps because they're profiting off the sex work of another person. Jesus. And that also often criminalizes sex workers because we're usually the support person for each other, right? Most of the time, a third party in sex work is another sex worker or a retired sex worker. And then criminalizing our clients, which seems like a compassionate thing if you're buying into that view of all clients are exploitative misogynists that are going to be violent to you 
But as a sex worker, to me, it's treating my good regulars who are kind and gentle and pay my rate and the one who helped me pay for my prosthetic knee brace, the one who helped like bought me non-binary flag D&D dice for my birthday one year, is treating them no different than the client that actually assaults me. That those are, the problem isn't that he assaulted me, it's that both of them paid me. Hmm. And it also means that I am prevented from screening effectively. And I'm in a very rare position where I can actually speak to that with evidence where under our current laws, which are based on the Nordic model, because clients are criminalized, they don't want to give you screening information because they could get arrested and thrown in prison. So like they're going to use a burner number, a fake name. They're not going to want to give you anything that they can be traced by back to their original identity. But that also means that if they're violent and aggressive to you, they just get another burner app number, another fake name, and you're none the wiser. They'll just keep coming back. And that was an issue that uh, me and some people that I know have had issues with, with people who have been banned from our, our little circle of people. And they'll, they just kept coming back. They'd show up at the door and be like, oh, it's this guy again with another burner number. And to the point where we like started scrutinizing their texting styles, so we can maybe figure out it was them ahead of time. But during COVID, because giving ID and vaccine proof was so common at literally everywhere you were now giving your photo id to every fucking barista you ever saw that clients were feeling a lot more comfortable giving us their id which obviously i'm in a pr privileged position of being an indoor sort of higher rate sex worker but you know still i was in the position where i could ask for id i could ask for vaccine information a lot of our clients who were older or more immune compromised and really needed our company because of how isolated they were, were really relieved and happy that we were asking for vaccine information. Mm. We're really happy to know we were all vaccinated, made them feel a lot safer. And those violent clients couldn't come back. There was at least one scenario I remember where I answered a, um, a text message and was like, oh, I can't verify you. This is a number. Can you please like send me your ID? He sent me his ID and he was a known violent client who had been arrested multiple times for like violent behavior. Mm. Like every sex worker in Toronto knows this man's name level of this is a violent man. Mm. And I was able to make sure that that guy couldn't see me or any of my friends because he had to give us his ID because all the other clients were. So he couldn't get out of it. I knew that I, if he wasn't going to give me his ID, 15 more clients were going to. So the pandemic gave me this unique insight into what actual screen, like screening that we want to be able to do can do for our safety. And the Nordic model prevents us from being able to do that. And for even more vulnerable sex workers who work on the street, they go from being able to stand in at a street corner negotiating consent talking, trying to figure out if the guy's car is going to be safe to get into, to having to go to more isolated areas of town, getting in those cars quickly before they negotiate because the client doesn't want to stay around. Like they get put in positions where I might get in a position where I'm going to get assaulted. They're going to get in a position where they're going to get murdered. Right. And they have less ability to turn down a client than I do. Mm. I, I need this for me 
they need it even more than I do. And the Nordic model puts us in a position where none of us can do anything to keep ourselves safe. And this is treated as acceptable collateral damage in the end goal of making us all be so unable to work safely that we decide to work at McDonald's instead. Mm. Yeah. And just listening to you talk, it's so interesting to me, the different mindsets in terms of how people would hear this. I hear this and I'm like, okay, this means we need to protect sex workers. It's a job just like any other job. And Mm -hmm. each job needs protections and it needs, you know, it, it, it needs safeguards and it needs public awareness. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just like, you know, say a factory worker or a construction worker or an office worker or a flight, you know, or a pilot or, you know, literally every job has risks. And we and each job uh, needs to be accepted and recognized so that those risks can be diminished. And then there are other people. Like mm-hmm. like Julie Bindle. Like I, I went on this oh my God. I went on this binge. I, I went on this Julie Bindle binge because I, I just was trying I'm so to, sorry for your mental health. Yeah. I mean, it was uh it was a time. <laughs> but I, I was just trying to like figure out what for people who don't know, Julie Bindle is a really prominent British uh radical feminist. And I just I was just trying to figure out why what is it? Why was sex work so dangerous to her in her mind? You know, why was it immoral? Why does it need to be abolished in her mind? Because she's super anti-sex work and anti-porn. And and she's also would, a turf and she also hangs out with white supremacists. If that gives you a, a better sense of what she's like. But she kept just she kept citing things like, oh, you know, there's, you know, there. And I don't know if these statistics are if what she was saying was correct. So I took all of it with a big grain of salt. But She Mm -hmm. would say things like, you know, likelihood of assault in these experiences is X, Y, and Z. And I hear, she hears that and is like, that means we should abolish sex work. I hear that and think that means we should protect sex workers. (laughs) And I'm just Mm -hmm. fascinated by that disparity where there will, every job has unique risks. Mm -hmm. And... That doesn't mean that we should therefore abolish that job. That's so backwards to me. Well, part of the reason is you're not thinking of sex as uniquely sacred. Yeah. You're thinking of sex work as another job. Yeah, that's right. She's not. Because she's not like all of these anti-trafficking organizations focus on sex trafficking. Hmm. And A, focus on consensual sex work to the detriment of actual trafficking victims who then cannot get help because all of the money that should be going to help them is going to quote unquote trafficking stings that just is a bunch of police justifying their budgets by fake booking escorts and then parading us around in front of cameras in our underwear, which is incredibly traumatizing. Mm. Uh, And they're not spending any of their attention on the much more common kind of trafficking which is migrant workers being trafficked into domestic work, agricultural work. And you don't see any of these rich white women saying, oh, we should abolish my nanny. Right. Because all of these, like a lot of swerves are well-off upper middle-class white women who have nannies. They don't want to abolish agricultural work. They don't want to get rid of grocery stores because they profit off of exploitation, which they absolutely do. Yep. Like, 
I don't see like the exploitation of a migrant worker working in a farmer's field any different than I see the exploitation of a migrant sex worker. Both of them are have their the criminalization of human migration used against them to trap them in situations they wouldn't otherwise be in. And migrant sex workers especially like can't go to the police to get help because they often get deported and their mm. assaulter just gets let go because they're the one breaking the law by because a lot of the time um sex work is specifically a type of work you're not allowed to do under like visa rules so like i see like oh you're at risk of violence and sex work and i'm like your numbers are suspect because you guys always give fucking weird numbers that don't make mathematical sense like they'll count every miss like report of a missing child in a year as an actual missing child that's being actually sex trafficked where it's like okay you'll get multiple reports from the same child some of those children aren't actually missing they're just in their backyards i know mm -hmm. because i was one of those kids mm. i was autistic i ran away a lot mm -hmm. i was just in the backyard hiding it's fine it happens a lot of those kids get found within 24 hours a lot of kids that go missing and get amber alerts are it's like a domestic situation where the non-custody parent takes the kids which, you know, that parent might be abusive. That might be a very bad situation for that child. But I don't think that's necessarily the same as going, oh, some weird foreigner is trafficking our children. That's not always what that is. So they have these overinflated numbers. So when they say like, oh, a sex worker is this amount likely to be assaulted. I'm like, I don't trust your numbers because your numbers are always inaccurate. And also none of us will talk to you because you're awful to us. Mm. Or, or God, the number of times I've known like there was a anti-sex work person in the UK that went non-consensually filmed people in strip clubs oh my and God. outed a bunch of strippers. Um, Layla Micklewaite of Exodus Cry, a woman came forward who was a actual trafficking survivor saying that Layla Micklewaite had exploited her and her story to make money for her NGO because a lot of their budgets are um, going to salaries and then awareness campaigns, which are essentially advertising. And Layla Micklewaite also posted child sexual abuse material on her Twitter. What? <laughs> Literally, yeah. CSAMs, child like sexual. This year. Oh my god. Okay, so. Yeah. Okay, so basic. I'm what going I'm... on so many tangents. No, that's perfect. That's perfect because I mean, this is this is all stuff that people don't know, and I'm. Mm -hmm. This is all, and, and I think what that point that you made about Julie Bindle is really good. I mean, on a fundamental level, I see sex work as work. And mm -hmm. it it is just a different kind of work that needs protection. And mm -hmm. and also, as I as I say this, I think, you know, it, it's important for me to also clarify I'm I'm a normie like <laughs> I'm such a normie. I am in an eight year monogamish relationship with my partner. I'm I'm exclusive in terms of my relationship, in terms of the sex that I have. And. I'm I'm pretty vanilla too. I and so my ethics are very progressive even though my personal life is pretty conservative. You know, looks conservative even though I don't think it actually is. And that's mm -hmm. that's okay. I'm Yeah, sex it, positivity includes being positive to all choices around sexuality that's exactly even right. if that means choosing not to have it. Like, that's exactly right. This this another misconception a lot of people have I'm actually asexual. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are more asexual sex workers than anyone has any idea because we're not all sex repulsed. A lot of us are sex, sex positive and sex favorable. 
I'm demisexual. It's why I set up my sex work the way it is. I like longer bookings with clients so I can talk to them first. Also, I don't have to be sexually attracted to a client. Mm. That's not a thing I have to do. My my sexual needs are not the ones being met in this environment. It's about me serving a need for another human being. Mm. Just like I'm pretty sure a chef is not cooking for me at a restaurant for his own benefit mm. other than he's making money out of it. But it doesn't fulfill his culinary artistic needs when I ask him for a fucking hamburger with nothing on it because I have weird dietary restrictions. I don't think that does anything for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's just so helpful for people to hear different ways in which people experience sexuality. So there are some people mm -hmm. who have very low sexual soci sociability, meaning the level of people, the number of people that they enjoy having sex with. Right. And so mm -hmm. someone someone can be super horny and 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 can have lots of sex, but have low sexual sociability and they just prefer to have sex with one person or they're serially monogamous or or whatever. Or they just want to have sex with themselves or just have like, sex with themselves. There's a lot themselves. of these people who are extremely horny, really like writing fanfic. Yeah. But the only person they want having an orgasm with them at the end of the day is themselves. Is themselves. Yeah, exactly. And and that's that's where their highest level of satisfaction sexually comes from. And then there are people with really high sexual sociality where where they you know can where where they are super into having sex with lots of people. And it's just all of these things are spectrums. All of these things are mm. ranges. It's and and the more we are okay with it, the better, in my opinion. Yeah. And it and it doesn't mean and that we have to. And I think at the end to... of the day, it comes down to that very thing that hmm. if you are wedded to the idea that there's one normative type of person, then all of this is a threat to your worldview. That's right. Right. So if if you think that you know it's fine for someone to be asexual, it's fine for someone to not want to have kids it's fine for someone to want to have a lot of kids it's fine for someone to want to have a lot of sex it's fine for someone to be vanilla or kinky or trans or cis who cares just do whatever you want that's fine as long as it doesn't hurt anyone yep then sex work isn't threatening to you but if you find all of this stuff threatening to your worldview where the only acceptable sex is that which god deems holy then this is all going to be a threat to you and then on top of that, you get these people who are threatened by sex work and sexual expression, then writing propaganda specifically designed and targeted to people who care about compassion, right? Like they're, they're, they're not saying this is a sin. They're saying this is, and they don't often say that it's degrading anymore. A lot of times they target it specifically saying, we're not going to call it sex work because sex shouldn't be work. Like work is exploitation. There's no consensual consumption under capitalism. So, so and if that means all sex work is rape because it can't be consensual. Like they're framing it around consent. They're framing it around labor rights and twisting it in a way to try and convince people to be anti-sex work. So people on the left will care about sex workers and then go, I care about sex workers and I don't want them to be raped all the time. So I'm pro the Nordic model, mm, right? Mm -hmm. It's compassionate. It gets them out. It 
it funds them to exit the industry, which no, it doesn't be that exiting the industry funding is again, a lot of these religiously funded exit reprogramming camps mm. that are like, it's you go to that or you go to jail. Like, Jesus. why should someone have to be arrested to get access to trafficking? Like, like survivor, like therapy or whatever, like handcuffing me and putting me in a cage is not compassion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like a lot of the times people are falling for this because it's specifically communicated to them in a way that appeals to their, their better nature and their kinder heart. And that's why a lot of times I'll talk to people and their first instinct, even if they're not all the way radical feminist anti-sex work person, they'll be like, oh, but it should be regulated because I want your health protected. Or like, oh, we should have like, you know, the Nordic model because like people who are exploiting you and profiting off of you should be criminalized. Mm. And it's like, okay, but like, I get where you're coming from. But as a sex worker, I'm sitting, like, I actually have the lived experience of what that then entails and what the right. unintended side effects are. And I don't expect people to know that without talking to us or listening to us or having that experience. I understand that. And then it's further muddied by the fact that sometimes the only way out of sex work is to then go to these anti-trafficking groups and throw every other sex worker under the bus. Mm. Because that's the only way to shake off the stigma is by having your story and your trauma be used by these people. It's your only way out. Mm. Yeah. I mean, again, just such a complicated picture. And one last thing that I wanted to ask you was mm -hmm. taking a sex positive approach and a non-judgmental approach to sex work and porn. What are problems in the current porn industry that you do think need to be changed? I would say that a, a big issue with the porn industry as it is right now is that because of the way that legislation is written is that it is forcing more and more of us into mainstream like production companies, like like vivid entertainment can get access to banking that a individual OnlyFans creator never could. Right? Right, right. And even as it is as an OnlyFans creator in Canada, like all of us have had payout issues for months. I wish OnlyFans had better customer service. I think that the porn industry could do a much better job of explaining the fantasy aspect. So that people understood that like, okay, these people are not wearing condoms because it's safer when you're doing an eight hour shoot because condoms create friction. Yes. If you're having sex for 30 minutes, use a condom. It's safer. It's, it's a very different context or mm -hmm. like not doing things like going from uncovered anal to doing vaginal or oral because yeah, in a porn shoot, there's like a, like an hour where you went and cleaned off or whatever, or her butthole has been bleached and enema to the point where it's as clean as any other part of her body. <laughs> it's as clean as a lab. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay. Like if you're more open about this, then that can help. I really think we have a huge problem in the industry. I think my biggest issue is how we market things. Mm. Um, specifically constantly chasing the, the people who want barely legal, not that I think there's any issue with being attracted to a 19 year old, they're an adult. 
But I think constantly chasing youth and having, there's so many performers who are like 27 marketing themselves as 20. Right. Mm. And I think if we were more honest about the fact that we're, you know, like I've done background acting. So Hollywood's complicit in this too, where I've played a 16 year old when I was 28. Sure. Right. So like, and some of that's also like, you know, you can't have a 14 year old on a Hollywood set for a 14 hour day. That's not cool to do to a child. But like, I feel like, you know, if we didn't chase that as much, and again, this is more on the big companies than the individual smaller producers who don't have the control or, you know, I know, I don't want to use the the slur on here, but as someone who has a partner, who's a trans woman, the SM slur is used in almost all marketing for trans women. I see you thinking about what it is. Uh, got it. Okay. Yes. I got you it. You got there. Yeah. Yeah. I got but there. Like, it took me a minute. <laughs> that's, that's used all the time. Or like, I know like a lot of black women, for example, will be marketed under the word ebony, which it's like, could you, could you let black women decide what words they're actually comfortable with rather than having this constantly pushed on them by like bigger companies. And you'll see changes in like smaller performers will like use different words, but they don't like, if everyone's looking at this particular hashtag, you're sort of pushed into using that language. And like a lot of the like interracial stuff is treated in this really fetishy way that fetishizes black men specifically. Like, I feel like bigger industry, like, industry companies could stop doing that like there there's obviously things that we could improve on but there are things i feel like us as a society could improve on you know that like anything i can point to in like mainstream pornography i see the same issue in hollywood right it's just you know we don't have multi-billion dollar companies involved as much as people try and say that our industry is this financial juggernaut, like we have a much better chance at shifting that needle than the Hollywood industry does. Mm. There's less inertia for us. And I feel like we could make that difference. Like they renamed the, uh, it's now the transgender porn awards rather than what it was before, which was a slur. Right. Like there's, there's, there's changes that we could make and, I mean, pre all the the anti-Pornhub stuff, like sex workers were constantly pushing for, could you make it so only verified people can post because people are stealing our stuff and posting child exploitation materials and there's all this shit. But I will also say like adult, statistically speaking, is doing a much better job at preventing exploitation materials than Facebook is. Facebook, yes. I mean, though the number, okay, by the way, the numbers regarding uh, CSAM, on for people who don't know csam is child sexual abuse material um Mm -hmm. see the numbers uh i don't have them in front of me but the numbers of csam the amount of csam on facebook is (laughs) mind-boggling it is horrific yeah uh as of february 24th 2021 uh, Facebook had 20.3 million reported incidents. Jesus. Compare compare that to Pornhub real fast. Pornhub had something like, I, I was looking this up the other day. Um, I posted it on, I fucking, someone was talking about how upset they were about the barely legal thing on Pornhub. And I'm like, most of these people are 25. It's, mm-hmm. and also we're not responsible for what men are looking for or what the marketing 
terms are, we're just kind of complying with them. But sure. um, yeah, I think Pornhub, it's something like 16,000 yeah. in mean, a year. Each one of those is is a horrific tragedy, and there's a big difference in scale between Pornhub yeah. and Facebook. And also, who's taking, like, at the very least, Pornhub could do a much better job, but does take them down. Um, yeah. I have heard reports of like Pornhub leaving them up for much longer than they at, like they should not have been up for weeks or months. But um, I had a friend of mine who had a like an in call of hers recorded without her consent, uploaded to Pornhub, mm. and I helped her get it taken down. It was taken down within hours. Yeah, yeah. So like, whereas I report that stuff on Twitter or Facebook and it never goes anywhere, I report stuff on Instagram. Oh my god, it not like nothing ever happens. Yeah. Like that that thing I was telling you about on Instagram where I was getting targeted with hate. Yeah. They were like posting screen grabs of my website on their Instagram stories. And uh Instagram said it like actually specifically said they didn't have enough people to look at the report, so they were just ignoring it. Jesus. And there Christ. was no way for me to have them look at it again because it was a story, so it was gone. Yeah. Yeah. So that no. was fun. So much of the moderation on social media is complete bullshit and abuse mm-hmm. constantly slips through the cracks like that. I mean Yeah. And I mean, then on the flip side. I've had, I literally had an issue where I woke up a couple weeks, I think it was a week ago. I woke up to 42 notifications on OnlyFans saying that content of mine had been found in violation and taken oh, down. Oh, this was the cake incident. Yeah. Tell well, that pe- was only one of them. <laughs> Tell people about the cake incident. <laughs> so um, I had a bunch of this stuff taken down on OnlyFans because it violated the TOS, which um, all of this content is stuff that I posted in 2020. So it's been there for like, two and a half years yeah but i guess they updated their, their tos or getting more strict partially because they're getting more pressure from payment processors i don't necessarily blame the the platform for this happening but the one photo that was taken down was literally a photo of me with red ice like gel icing that was like a crayon orangey red on my face yeah and i had a dull paring knife in my hand that was covered in the same red icing and also tons of cake there were bits of cake in my fingers i was in covered in cake (laughs) and that was considered like against tos not because of the cake but because it implied either because they don't the tos on OnlyFans does not ban fake blood it bans violence torture uh references to self-harm so i'm like okay it's got to be one of those I don't know how you see me covered in cake and think self-harm, but okay. And then the the other thing was like a 40-photo set of mine that was taken down that was literally just me in a bath yeah. that had a... Technically, it wasn't even a red bath bomb. It was a green one that I edited red in post. And you could even yeah. see like on the edges, because this is when I was early in photo editing, you can still see the green glow on parts of my skin from the light bouncing. Mm. Um and like not fake blood it's just me in a red bath and that was taken down um there was also an entire photo set of mine taken down in may that was me completely safe for working clothes as carrie from the movie carrie yeah uh in a wedding dress in a big fake blood pool and i understood that one because i was covered in fake blood and shit but they even took down ones where i didn't have fake blood and i was just in a big red pool i I, it's fucking stupid i wonder what the moderation decision there was like maybe this is cake or maybe it's actual organs. Which one is it? We don't so, know. <laughs> it's probably AI moderation. Yeah. Yeah. And because of the anti-sex work people being 
very annoying. SESTA-FOSTA means that they're actually legally liable for the things that people post. So they have to be extra strict. Oh, wow. So they have um, to do it through bots so that there isn't an yeah. individual on the line to actually yeah. look at it. That's crazy. Yeah, because it puts them legally liable. And it also means they have to be extra strict about how they moderate. Adult sites are like this generally. Like fun fact, almost every adult site bans like lactation. So if your boob leaks on why on like why? a cam site, you're yeah you're banned. Why? Because I guess it's somehow obliquely in someone's mind connected to a baby, even though that's not that's a thing, weird. But whatever. So also menstrual blood is banned. So if your period starts while you're camming, you're fucked. Huh? Too bad. I mean, what you were saying earlier about how the problems in porn being represented more broadly just in culture, like all the problems in mm -hmm. porn are also problems in Hollywood. I mean, I have concerns about porn, but they aren't about porn. They're about the way the digital platforms work. In the same way, mm -hmm. I'm concerned about Twitter. My mm -hmm. objection is not to the concept of social media. I love social media. Dis our Discord server is, a, is social media. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of the private spaces where Satanists and, and like-minded people gather online, that's all social media. Social media is great. My objection is to the, the unaccountable algorithmic systems that cultivate hate, that escalate you know, unhelpful and cruel behavior that that cultivate extremism, that get people, a, a minority of people addicted, you know, that mm -hmm. that's the stuff that I'm worried about. And I'm very much worried about similar stuff with, say, Pornhub. I'm I'm worried about mm. about systems that capitalize on on human desires and impulses in a way that could be destructive, just just yeah. you know but that isn't a criticism of porn that's a criticism of the platform right yeah does that make sense and yeah absolutely like the issue is not so much the free expression of a human being no not it's at all the way that a corporation is capitalizing and profiting off of that's exactly serving right. the kinds of like it'll serve the most negative stuff that will then drive the most clicks and content so that that makes them the most money. It like outrage fuels eyeballs. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that right. makes the money. Yep. Whereas like thoughtful, nuanced discussions don't. And like, yep. again, like the free expression stuff on social media is something that I've been paying really close attention to because like I'm caught in this very weird position of being a trans person and who very much would like better moderation, but also being a sex worker who knows stricter moderation always kicks us off first. Mm. Right? Yeah. So like, it's very difficult to sit here and be like, I see a bunch of leftists being like, oh, we should have everyone like be verified. People are not saying that as much now because Elon showed us how that can go very badly. Yes. But having people like <laughs> ID verified and it's like, okay, that's not great for trans people or sex workers because we or any Satanist who relies on anonymity to remain safe hmm. or like, it's just, it's really difficult to like, you know, thread that needle of we want free expression for unpopular speech and for sexuality and for queer people, but we want to not have Nazis, which I feel like that's a needle we can thread, but it's just too often people are like, Oh, like a good example to, to this is the taking down of Kiwi farms, 
Yeah, absolutely. That that fucking website should be down and sure. should not be doxing and killing people. Sure. But using the stack to do that by going after their website host, Cloudflare, going after their banking yeah. and their DDoS service and using stack as a moderation tool. Well, I've mentioned this before. That happens to sex work all the time. That's how we lose Backpage. That's how we lose like our access to Patreon because people went to Patreon and said, you are the stack provider for sex workers. Kick them off. We don't like them. Yeah, it, it's such a it's it's so com complicated. And I I have the exact same naughty not naughty as in n a u g h t y <laughs> but but yeah i mean both yes i mean it's i a gordian I, knot yes it is knot. a gordian knot it is it is naughty and a gordian knot i have the exact same challenges with this and i think a lot of it is just the nature of social media because we human hu, i don't think humanity has ever seen something like social media where these these companies are bigger than any company has been in the history of humanity um mm -hmm. and it is novel technology and it is a public square or it is a it is a private company masquerading as a public square right mm -hmm. and so and we, i agree with you yeah and it's like, complicated i feel like some of these things feel like they should be regulate regulated like a like a public utility rather than privately owned yeah like that seems like where a lot of the issues are where like you know the fact that for whatever reason um during the pandemic my um internet provider was like ah we're just gonna throttle your performance specifically to streaming websites to twitch and to pirate bay because we can tell when you're going to pirate bay and we know that that's theft and we're like here in Canada, the telecom companies are, there's like two of them. Right. And they also own a lot of the streaming websites and stuff. So like they'll, they'll throttle their competitor. Hmm. They'll throttle you from what they think might be theft. Even if, you know, when I'm on Pirate Bay 4 is completely unrelated. Like it's, it's just very, very, very frustrating sometimes to be like, these things should be public and they're required for so much of the pub, like the operation of day-to-day -day life, the way that like, a fire department or water would be mm -hmm. but they're privately owned so like now your access to the public square is on whether or not elon musk likes you or not yeah exactly right? it's or, very weird and then or like, whether I'm you're willing to pay that eight fucking dollars for the yeah. for the blue check mark because now i don't know if you heard this now he's going to start giving preferential treatment to the blue check marks and to the people who pay the eight dollars the thing is that doesn't that doesn't bother me as much as it bothers most people mm. because mm -hmm. literally we were already, that was already happening where that's true. Uh, <laughs> accounts marked that's sensitive. We're already being throttled. So every yeah. sex worker on earth was already dealing with that because if we're not marked as sensitive, then we get our account taken away. Mm. Um, so like sex, the, the world that everyone's scared of sex workers have been living in this entire time. Like everyone panicking about losing Twitter, which I understand why black Twitter and disabled Twitter are worried about losing this non-fungible unique place where they're able to pressure like the public in a like i don't think the george floyd movement and the blm movement would have worked anywhere but twitter crypt the vote doesn't work anywhere but twitter because we need access to a non-siloed environment that we can access people who wouldn't otherwise see us yeah i get that but i like seeing them panic losing this platform for the first time and then sitting here as a sex worker it's like where were you when I lost Backpage and Patreon and almost lost OnlyFans 
and we lost Pornhub payments. So like Pornhub can still make money, but we can't get our payouts to us. Or yeah. where were you when we lost Tumblr? Like no one cared. Everyone's laughing. Or like I'm back on Tumblr now because they kind of allow nudity again. Mm. And so many people on Tumblr are like, oh, like, oh, you come crawling back. It's like, yeah, you kicked me out and you're acting superior because you never left, but you never left because you weren't kicked out. I yeah. was. I wasn't allowed to stay. I went back through my old Tumblr posts and the vast majority of them were flagged as violating terms of service and I had to delete everything hmm. and start from scratch. It was like, you know, it's just really, really, really hard to see people scared of a thing that I've been living for 10 years, right? Or the same thing when people are scared of like, when people were scared of isolation at the start of COVID, it's like, well, yeah, but you, every time someone in Canada doesn't shovel the sidewalk in front of their house, they do that to every disabled person that lives in their neighborhood for the entire winter. It's like five months a year I've been trapped in my house since I was 14. Mm. So like the start of the pandemic, the first like nine months, I was completely fine because I was so used to being isolated. Yeah, It's just a really hard thing to watch other people get used to for the first time. Yeah, I can imagine how that would be really, really frustrating to watch. Mm -hmm. uh, where you're like, welcome to my world. <laughs> welcome to yeah. what I've been living with. And like with. they're not even listening to us be like, this is how we've coped with this this whole time. They're just not listening to us entirely. And it's like, oh my God, we have mm. so much expertise to help you with this, but you just refuse to listen to us. Both with the isolation of COVID, disabled people were trying to help be like, this is how you keep a schedule so you don't go insane. Yeah. Or like, here's how you handle being scared of your health in public. Like, mm. or God, so many disabled people in like, February and March 2020, we're like, long COVID's going to be a thing, just so you know. And now we're finally getting people acknowledging it mm. almost three years later. And it's like, we're sitting here like, oh my God, if you just listen. And like, as a sex worker, it's the same where you just feel like I'm just saying over and over and over that things are going to happen. And then they happen. And then people act fucking, they have shocked Pikachu faces. And I'm like, <laughs> I literally told you this is going to happen Yeah, forever ago. Yeah so long ago yeah 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 it well i we need to wrap this up but this has been amazing i need to go i need i need to go get to other work but this has been fantastic thanks for having me on it's been really fun for me too i'm so glad and obviously we have so much more to talk about and i'm i'm so grateful for your time and for coming on and, and telling us all about sex work and your life and so on and so forth the more people who understand this the better in my opinion mm-hmm for people who want to check out your stuff, where can they do that? So the easiest way is to just go to my website because I won't lose that if Twitter goes down. Sure. Um, it's hellcatazura.rip. Yes, I got a custom URL because I thought that was really funny. Um, <laughs> and that has access to all my, like it has my in-person stuff, but it also just has like all my modeling stuff and links to like, I do Twitch and I have VODs on YouTube and I have Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Tumblr, Reddit. I'm a sex worker, so I'm like most places, but it's Hellcat Azura everywhere, but YouTube, which is just Azura Rose. Amazing. All right. Fabulous. Yeah. Everyone go check out their stuff. It's amazing. Thank uh, you. And anytime you want to come back on, just let me know. I would love to have you on again. Oh, I, I would love to come back on if you have like more stuff because like we could tangent for hours, I feel like. Oh, yeah, definitely. We have so much more to talk about. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to do this again soon. All right. Well, that is it for this show. 
The music is by 117. The theme song is called Wild. You can find it on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. The show is written, produced, and edited by me, Stephen Bradford Long, and it is made possible by my patrons at patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. And as always, hail Satan. Hail Satan. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.